The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. And some of you may have been hearing a lot of talk about a new digital currency called Bitcoin and have a lot of questions about it because even some of the articles that I've read about it really aren't very informative. They're asking a lot of questions as well. But here with us today, we have two attorneys, John Kenny Hertz and Braden Perry from the law firm of Kenny Hertz Perry LLC, who are going to be talking with us about Bitcoin, what its advantages are, what are some of the things that we might need to be looking out for, and just lots of things that they can actually fill in the gaps about regarding this new currency. Welcome to the show today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Okay, so let's just get right down to it. What is Bitcoin? I mean, we know it's a digital form of currency. We know it's decentralized. That means no one country owns it. It's it's, um, decentralized in that way. But but what what do you mean you say Bitcoin? What what is that? Bitcoin it's essentially a cryptocurrency that uh was first described back in about 1998 uh through some and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, a cypherpunks mailing list and an individual by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto designed the algorithm that is used for the Bitcoin and that essentially means um it's a set of numbers that is a block that you can identify and thus be able to verify as virtual currency. Okay, so when we talk about this virtual currency, let, let's get right down to the user level. I have a, a company. We do a lot of Internet transactions. Maybe Bitcoin would be something that would make our lives easier. So I'm sitting here in this room. I've read an article, really don't know a lot about it. Explain to me how I use it, what, what's underneath of it that makes it work. I mean, what is what is all that about? Essentially, all you need is a Bitcoin wallet. and. It it really is that simple. You go to a website, you download an electronic wallet that holds Bitcoins. You can then start accepting Bitcoin. And so a vendor or anyone else who has a collection of Bitcoins can pay you directly through no intermediary. It's just simply a a person-to-person transaction, and you have an address where these Bitcoins go, and it's stored in your wallet. Okay, so it goes from one wallet to the other wallet. And... During that, the course of that transaction, uh, how, do, how do I value the, the Bitcoin? Let's say I have a very common uh, number for us would be a $20 registration fee to go to a breakfast that we host, for example. So they have Bitcoins in what kind of denominations? I mean, even at that level, how, do, how, do, how does that work? Well, um, I'll, I'll try to answer that question, uh, but first... Uh, the way I like to think of Bitcoin is that it is a commodity, uh, much like gold or silver. Mm-hmm. And certain values are placed on amounts of that commodity. Uh, so Bitcoins, were when they were created, there was a finite number of Bitcoins created, which okay. was uh, 20, 22 million, I believe. 21 million. 21 million. And so 
bitcoins, a single bitcoin has a value assigned to it. So if you were trying to make it you know, complete a transaction for $20, mm-hmm. it would be a fraction of a bitcoin based upon the value that has been assigned to it okay. currently. Similar to a gift card that you might get for 50 bucks, and you go into the, the retailer and you only spend $23 of it, you still have a balance of $27 that I can spend later. Bitcoins work in a similar way as far as the way in terms of their value. Well, I would say in that example, if you had a $50 gift card, and mm-hmm. let's say it was good for 10 years, that $50 might buy a certain amount of goods uh, in 2013 and buy a completely different amount of goods in 2023. Okay. But in terms of a balance left over? It now, really works I- the other way around in that Bitcoin's uh, one Bitcoin, let's say, is worth, let's just use a round number and say it's worth $1,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a fraction of one Bitcoin would be equal to $20. Right. Okay. So a fraction of one Bitcoin would be equal to the $20 that you could pay for your ticket. And then the remaining $980 stays stored in your wallet. If you had started with one Bitcoin, yes. Okay. All right. Got it. Now, what happens when we hear about things... Uh, for example, there was a report that came out just this week where Bitcoin value had fallen from a high of $1,200 at the beginning of December to $535 on December 17th. So so I lose money. If I bought that Bitcoin at $1,200, it's now only $535? Correct. Okay. So, so there is a risk associated oh, with absolutely. it. As opposed to if I've got a dollar in cash, barring inflation or deflation, I've got a dollar in cash. All right. So there is that risk with it. Now, the other thing is, if, if I'm a business, do I have to register to use this? I mean, what, it, are, are there, what are the regulations around it right now? At this point, there are no regulations. Uh, you know, essentially, if you um, accept Bitcoins, it's no different than accepting cash. How are things verified? How are transactions verified? How do I know that I've got, you know, that $20 came into my account, staying with that example, that it came into my account and that I have so much of a balance remaining? With your wallet and the software that goes with it, you can see these transactions almost instantaneously. And so at some level, when this comes through instantaneously, then then you can verify and once it's in your wallet, you cannot take it out. Once it's in and verified, it is your Bitcoin uh, that no one can take away from you. Okay. So what? where are they stored? In the cloud? I mean, I, heard, I also saw something about someone digging through a, a trash heap because they had thrown away their hard drive and they realized their Bitcoin was stored on it. And it was worth several million dollars. So... Surely they're not stored just on locally on a device that, oh, honey, I just lost my cell phone and there went our savings. I mean, <laughs> you know. It's actually stored on a national registry that everyone can see. And so your IP address through this transaction can identify the partial block of Bitcoin that you own. And the individual that was looking to the trash can, he had his electronic wallet um, only on his hard drive. Uh. And once it is... With an electronic wallet, you need to have your password because no one else has it. You can't recover it. And if you lose your password or lose where you can identify your specific wallet address, then it's gone forever. Okay. All right. That's that's good to know that. So if, if you have a Bitcoin, can you store it, though, in a cloud-based system so that you don't have that danger? You can store the information available to access your wallet in okay. a cloud. All right. 
So what what is the government's take on this? I know it's legal. I mean, that's been established. It's a recognized currency, except in China, I guess, which is partly why the value fell right. uh, in December. But it's it's a valid form of currency. Uh, but what are government's interest in this? It's not taxable at this point, is it? I think the IRS would take the position that at some point when the Bitcoin is transformed back into a fiat currency, uh, such as the U.S. dollar, that at that point it's taxable. Uh, at this point in time, the transactions between Bitcoin owners uh, are not taxable. If you are in the business of providing exchange service between U.S. dollar to uh, Bitcoin, then you have to follow the same FinCEN rules regarding money laundering and knowing your customer. So they're beginning to get on board with the minimal regulation necessary to ensure that these are uh, identifiable transactions, but uh, still at a big level, it's an anonymous transaction. And that anonymity is another one of the areas that is ripe for abuse. Uh, some of the things that you're hearing about are that this is the Bitcoin is becoming an area where money launderers are lurking, drug dealers are, are making their transactions because it is anonymous and there are no there are no tracking uh, mechanisms. So, so how do you respond to that? Well, my first response is all of those things were occurring prior to Bitcoin mm-hmm. uh, with all different types of currencies and uh, transactions, different types of uh, merchants that provide the means to, to complete those transactions. So I don't think those things are anything new. However, there has been some press, good or bad, with uh, the ability for people to complete those types of illegal transactions using Bitcoin and stay anonymous. Uh, I think the most famous, I guess, story is the Silk Road story, which was basically a forum that put people in contact with one another, and the use of Bitcoin was what uh, people use in order Mm -hmm. to complete those transactions for things that were illegal. Right. I mean, I think it's certainly an issue that needs to be addressed, and I think, again, with you know FinCEN's involvement and their regulation of foreign currency, I think that they're trying to address it. Mm-hmm. I think it will be addressed. They're just It's so young that people don't know exactly how. Well, it, it is very young, and I know that some of our uh, more established institutions, not just the governments, but banks themselves, are trying to get their arms around this and finding out if they have a place in this. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think Bitcoin is, the epitome of the anti-bank. It is, you know, it's the currency people are wanting to use that is decentralized, that, that there is no um, regulatory structure for this. In a sense, it it also provides some advantages over banks that that are there, such as the transaction fees, such as the ease of, of use. And if banks were to be on board with the Bitcoin, uh, it might lose its luster, mm-hmm. uh, and it also might cost more for uh, for those who are doing Bitcoin-to-Bitcoin transactions. All right. Let me ask you, uh, I know that you just started your firm. You came from some, some rather large firms, and you just started your firm about six months ago. 
why did you decide to you, you accept Bitcoin yourself as currency for payment? Yes. How, why did you decide to start doing that, especially you know such a young firm, sure. and to embrace something as novel as this? Some people would probably think that's taking a risk yourself. You're already taking a risk going out on your own, and then you know with a form of currency that still a lot of people are skeptical about. Well, I think for a couple of reasons, we decided to accept payments for legal services and Bitcoin. Uh, the first was it was it was we have a client that uh, makes or manufactures Bitcoin mining machines. Um, you know, we've taken on a lot of clients since we started the firm that are rather entrepreneurial and of all shapes and sizes, uh, from publicly traded companies to uh, individuals literally just starting out and asking us to form uh, their company and and provide them that sort of advice on what entity to form. So it was something that was interesting enough to us based upon our involvement with this client that manufactures the mining machines, and secondly, a way to support young or new types of technologies with clients that are, in a sense, supporting us as a new mm -hmm. law firm. Okay. So it was something that we wanted to do, I guess, for a number of reasons. All right. So so you plunged right into entrepreneurship as well as an, a payment system that is, is rather new, too, because you mostly serve entrepreneurs. Okay, let's go back. I want to make sure that I'm understanding this and that our listeners are understanding this correctly. There's a finite number of Bitcoins that are available that have been issued, and each one, depending on when you buy in and get your Bitcoin, it has a certain, you buy it at a certain price and it has that value. Well, what if I want to, can, can I buy more Bitcoins? How does that work if I exhaust the value of a Bitcoin that I have, for example? Well, there are several ways to create Bitcoin, first of which is mining. And you use specialized computer hardware and anyone can purchase this hardware to essentially identify the algorithmic numerical sequence of these Bitcoins that is then, uh, once these are verified, it's loaded into your wallet and you have created Bitcoin for yourself. You use pools, multiple people use them together and split up these Bitcoins uh, as your own. And therefore, you own Bitcoin almost out of thin air. Um, you, can, you actually can create more Bitcoins then. It, it's finite, but it's not finite because you can create more. It's finite to a point. And I okay. don't know the latest numbers, but as of now, out of the 21 million, 12 million have been mined or created. And so as more and more mm -hmm. are created, then there's less, uh, less supply out there. So mining is one way that you can get more Bitcoin. The second way you can get more Bitcoin is going to an exchange, mm -hmm. uh, whether it be, uh, and there are a number of them out there in different jurisdictions, and you can exchange U.S. dollars or any sort of currency for Bitcoin. Um, it, there's a process to get that Bitcoin into your wallet, but you can therefore do it. And the third way is essentially to accept Bitcoin mm -hmm. um, as services for uh, for your company. Sure. Okay, so let's say at some point I decide that I don't like using Bitcoin anymore. Do I just sell it back on one of these exchanges for U.S. currency? Is Correct. that how that works? Okay, so I'm not locked into it. Once I buy a Bitcoin, I'm not locked into spending you're, it all. Right, okay. you're not forced to use your Bitcoins until they run out. Okay, and a difference between a normal exchange and the Bitcoin exchange at this point in time is there's a lag time uh, on the exchange. So it's not like you can instantaneously transform your Bitcoin back into U.S. dollar and vice versa. 
the exchanges sometimes take between um, 12 hours to several days uh, for these transactions to occur. And it's for two reasons. One is the verification process of these numbers and also for uh, the verification process to transform it into currency. And the other is simply the markets are rather inefficient. And so uh, it's a slower process than uh, what a normal exchange might seem like. Okay, so going back to being a business owner and I decide that I'm going to start accepting Bitcoin currencies or that as a currency, do I have to, on my website, just like I have to have a merchant services account set up on my shopping cart, do I have to do anything special like that or is the infrastructure already built in somewhere else and the transactions take place outside of my own website? How does that all work so that the customer has a seamless experience? There are several ways to do it. The first way is simply post your wallet address on your website, and someone that has the software to transfer that Bitcoin can instantaneously do that to that address. Um, The second way is to use a third-party vendor, essentially, and, and that can create a much more seamless and easier transition for both you uh, and your your customer. Some of the services include being able to automatically transform that Bitcoin that you're paid in into U.S. dollar um, at certain levels or a a number of different services that that might be helpful to a consumer. Okay, so if I'm understanding you right then, I can accept Bitcoin as a payment, but I don't have to keep it. I can immediately, as a business owner, I could immediately go and have that that, uh, exchange for U.S. currency. Yes, and some of the vendors out there do that, and there's transaction fees involved in doing that. But essentially, yes, you don't have to have a Bitcoin wallet to accept Bitcoin. All right, and that's a real key point to clarify there. One of the other things that I have heard something about just recently is that the um, U.S. Treasury Department sent out letters to businesses who are engaged in Bitcoin transactions, and I guess it's their anti Laundering unit, yeah, exactly. And they're saying that these businesses have to register as a money transmitter in much the same way as Western Union or PayPal has to. And some of these businesses are saying, "I'm just this little business over here. Why are you putting me in the same category as PayPal and Western Union?" Anybody who's listening today, for example, if I get one of those, is that something that I really do need to pay attention to, or is that just kind of a warning shot that the Treasury Department's firing? Well, I would first of all say that anybody that gets a letter from the Treasury Department should probably take it seriously. Mm -hmm. But I think generally speaking, and of course this isn't legal advice to anyone that's received one of these letters, but generally speaking, I think it is a way that the Treasury is trying to understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so engaging the Treasury and saying, this is what we do, this is our business, they may say, well, you have to register as commonly referred to as MSB or money service business, which money uh, transmitter falls within that. So okay. does a currency exchange, uh, which is most likely why they might be receiving the letter. But mm-hmm. I would assume that it opens some dialogue with the Treasury to say, this is what we do, this is how we do it and determine from there if the registration needs to happen. Okay, so so have that conversation. Don't just assume I'm a little three-person business and and uh, I put a, a link out there to accept Bitcoin that, that I'm immune to, to all of this. 
No, the guidance essentially said that if you fall within the definition, the state definitions, which change by state, as a money, money service business, you should be registered as a money service business in that state. And so it, it all relates to your business practices, not the fact that you accept Bitcoin. I'm talking here today with John Kenny Hertz and Braden Perry with Kenny Hertz Perry LLC and discussing Bitcoin. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we will continue that discussion. It's true, who you know is important, but what you know and how you apply that knowledge is what helps accelerate your career. Benedictine College's Executive MBA program is the only one-year Executive MBA program in Kansas City. The North Johnson County campus and weekend class times are convenient and allow you to learn from world-class thought leaders and collaborate with other executives who intend to make a difference in their business and their community. Go to benedictine.edu slash EMBA. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. We're talking here today with John Kenny Hertz and Braden Perry about Bitcoin. What do you think the future of Bitcoin is? Where do you think it's going? Well, uh, that's a pretty open-ended question. Um, well, you guys jumped into it. Oh, so absolutely. You might see a, a future. So. Absolutely. We wouldn't have agreed to accept payment this way if we didn't think there was benefit to it. Um you know, we support our clients in all kinds of ways, but we still have to get paid in order to right. keep our, our doors open. So uh, do we think it's legitimate? Absolutely. Um, and do we think that there's a future in Bitcoin becoming um, a, a more widely used and accepted currency? Absolutely. Right. Well, I mean, we used to trade in shells and sure. things like that. and. So there's always a possibility that some new form of payment can come along. What do you think are the barriers right now, the challenges that have to be overcome in order to make it more mainstream, more widely acceptable? Um, well, I think there's a few barriers just from a PR standpoint. Uh, a lot of what you hear about Bitcoin is you know, cloaked in some sort of anonymity because of the way it was invented. Most people don't understand it, um, and I'll be the first to admit I feel like we've just scratched the surface, mm -hmm. uh, at least in my understanding. And um, I mean, we find it fascinating, but I think some people are scared of it. Yeah, and, and is it mostly because they don't understand it? Is it because of the bad PR that it's gotten? And we've talked about some of those things here today. Uh, what is it that's, or is it just the fact that it's changed? What What do you think it is? I think all of the above. I don't. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. Braden might feel differently, but uh, I. I don't think I don't think my parents would have ever believed they would be transacting business on their cell phones. So in that regard, it is new and different and and um usually things that are new and different people shy away from until they fully understand it. Yeah, until somebody else out there has worked out a lot of the kinks right. and they feel it's safe territory to tread into. Yeah. And one of the main kinks is the fact that it's so volatile right now. And it's jumped between $6 at some point this previous year to uh, close to 2000 I think it went over 2000 for a while. And it settled back down in the $600 range. Um, it needs to, really for it to be viable long term, uh, there needs to be some sort of a baseline, some sort of a, um, a price discovery where everyone knows what a Bitcoin will be worth tomorrow, 
no one knows what it will exactly be worth, but you know if it's in the neighborhood, uh, that's that's one way um, that this can become more widespread and more widely used. Yeah, I think Braden's right. The volatility of it is probably what scares most people away once they try to understand it. Um, understanding how it might benefit you as an individual or your business when it is so volatile is difficult at mm-hmm. times. Um, you know, if we take payment for $10,000 in legal services and let's say Bitcoin is trading at $1,000 that day and we have 10 Bitcoins and then all of a sudden it's trading at 500 Right. You just got we cut just lost a lot of money. Exactly. And a lot of entrepreneurs or small business owners couldn't weather those right. kinds of uncertainties. It's already opening a business is fraught with risk and to not know exactly how much you're being paid for your services. Right. So I, I would agree that is that is a huge uh, a huge barrier uh, to solve for. Right. That baseline value before before it really takes off. So if anyone is interested in talking more about Bitcoin with you, how would they get in touch with you? Uh, well, they can certainly go to our website, uh, KennyHertzPerry.com. Um, they can find our email addresses and phone numbers on there, um, John at KennyHertzPerry.com, and this is Braden at KennyHertzPerry.com. We would love to talk to anybody that's interested in it. Uh, the legal issues surrounding it, are, again, fascinating to us just as much as the technology is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, and for any of you who are wondering about KennyHertzPerry.com, it's K-E-N-N-Y-H-E-R-T-Z-P-E-R-R-Y.com. So KennyHertzPerry.com, just like it sounds. And I'm sure that with all of the different information that's coming out about it, that the curiosity of a lot of people is going to uh, really keep this in the news for a long while, and, and it'll be interesting to see how it all develops. Good luck with all that. Thank you. Thank you all again right. for having us. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, you can visit our website at ithinkbigger.com, follow us on Facebook at Thinking Bigger Business Media, or join our LinkedIn group at Thinking Bigger Business. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.